0: Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Or technically, day after Thanksgiving, but you know, close enough. I, I guess that makes it Black Friday, and so, um, you know what? For all of you, for all of my wonderful listeners, today's episode is 20% off. You're welcome. Just a little Black Friday sale to uh, to get your, uh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. It's a free podcast. Anyway, uh, I hope that your Thanksgiving, at least if you're American, uh, to my international listeners, that your Thursday went well, and um, yeah, welcome to Safari Zoo News, your look at All of the latest news in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal stuff in general. Um, yeah, so first a little update on me. Uh, still working on Million Dollar Quartet in Asbury Park. Uh, we open soon. Um, the first weekend of December. So if you happen to be in the area, come check it out. We're there the first two weekends of December. And then the third weekend of December, uh, my own original show debuts in Atlantic City at the Hard Rock Under the Sun. Uh, we have shows at 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Saturday, December 17th. So feel free to come check out the non animal stuff in my life if you happen to be around. Uh yeah, let's see what else we got. I'm saying uh yeah a lot tonight, which which you can tell means I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed right after I record this. So uh yeah, see I I did it again. Um oh, coolness. So the uh the virality of me drumming with Emily the Elephant has finally started to calm down. I'm only only getting uh, you know, 10 to 20 to 30,000 views a day. Uh, down from its, its peak of a million plus per day. And it uh, looks like we're going to, well, we already went over 40 million between TikTok and Instagram. Um, but that, that will probably be around its, its final big number. And then um, recently, both Justin freaking Timberlake liked it, and also Ron Carter, which was actually slightly more meaningful to me. Yeah, I know. Of everyone listening, none of you know who Ron Carter is. That's okay. You probably know that I have a son, and that my son is named Miles. And Miles is named Miles after Miles Davis. And uh, Miles Davis had two great quartets in his life, and the bassist for the second one was Ron Carter. Uh, Yeah, that that was the Miles band that I listened to the most coming up, too, so like that was amazing for me. That was, that was really cool. Uh, Ron might be the bass player I've listened to the most in the entire world ever other than Paul McCartney. So, um, That was pretty cool to see. And also that Justin Timberlake guy, uh, he's pretty cool. I guess you could say that Ross Safari really is bringing sexy back. I should probably just go to sleep and record this tomorrow. (laughs) But anyway, hey, whatever. We're having fun, right? Uh, There's one other quick update that I wanted to give you all, and this one is actually on the podcast itself. Uh, So you may have noticed, uh, if you are my astute listeners that have been around for a while, that I have not been putting ads on the podcast recently. I know we talked about it and I know that we did some polls and at the end of the day, the income that I was making from those ads was nice, but it wasn't so much that I felt like it was worth interrupting all of my podcast episodes with and the way that it is done where it just randomly inserts it where it thinks it will sound good just using an algorithm meant that a lot of times it was getting placed right in the middle of an interview question and answer or in the middle of a news story and um i just don't like that i I want this to be a really high quality podcast for y'all and so i have made the executive decision to stop taking those kinds of advertisements for now I may bring it back at some point, and uh, I may take additional ads, or if I can place them myself rather than having them randomly inserted, I may do that at some point. But uh, for now, Safari will remain ad-free. Because of that, though, I really do want to ask that uh, if you are able to support the podcast at all, uh, if you would consider going to patreon.com slash and signing up to be a monthly patron. You can do so for as little as $3 per month. There are some cool little perks, uh, but also it just, you know, help offset the revenue loss that I've, I'm getting from this whole not having ads because I know it sounded bad on the podcast thing. That'd be cool. So um, yeah, if you're able to, patreon.com slash Safari or um, I know more and more pods are doing this now, and I think it's kind of cool. So uh, you can Venmo me at raw safari and, um, just like a one E type thing. And, and, you know, that'd be cool too, but Hey, look, I'm not in this for the money. I don't care about that nearly as much as I care about educating and entertaining y'all. And so, um, I'm going to stop talking about that and instead try to educate and entertain y'all with some zoo news. Yeah. Two, three, four. Ow, that's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, It's So as I mentioned, uh, this episode is dropping on Black Friday, and one of the first things that I wanted to do was just to remind y'all that a lot of zoos do membership sales for Black Friday. Um, I know Elmwood Park Zoo is offering up their biggest one ever, a 60% discount on membership or renewal. And I've seen a lot of zoos offering, you know, 30 or 50% off a membership. Zoo memberships are an awesome way to support the zoo that you love, usually pay for themselves in as little as two or three visits. Um, Even if you, uh, get them at normal price, not at the Black Friday sale price, and um, also often have additional perks like discounts on merchant food or even free parking. So if that's something that might interest you, now is the time to check out if your local zoo is doing a Black Friday or general holiday sale on memberships. And while we're on the subject of holiday type things at zoos, I also wanted to remind y'all that a lot of zoos are now doing a holiday lights type extravaganza. These things are called Illuminature or Zoo Lights or Holla Zoo Light Stravaganza Palooza. I made that one up. But um, the point is that it's a really cool opportunity to go see your favorite zoos in a different way. Light. I wasn't even making that as a joke, I promise you, but I mean... The pun is there, um, but it really is. It's a cool opportunity to go and walk around. You won't see a lot of animals. I'm not going to lie, but a lot of them do have uh, either like light displays that look like animals, or some of those lanterns that look like animals or whatever. And you can walk around the zoo at night and see it all lit up. And you know, usually you still get to see some animals. And it's just a great way to go walk around and enjoy the beauty of the zoo without being distracted by all those pesky animals, right? But um, also. So and just support the zoo, you know, uh, this kind of stuff brings in a lot of money, which then goes to take care of the animals directly. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, go go find your local zoos, zoo lights and and go check it out. It's usually a really good time. Uh, tell them Ross Safari sent you. It won't help, but just do it anyway. For the record, I literally uh, just paused recording and sent a text to a friend and was like, I should probably go to bed and record this tomorrow because the top of this episode is a loopy one. So at least I'm aware. Self-awareness is important, y'all. All All right. So quick update. Since that last story, uh, I went to sleep because I was being a goober and now I'm awake and drank too much coffee. So uh, I assume the rest of this episode will be just as crazy. You're welcome. The AZA has announced that the third wave of federal COVID-19 relief funds that is available to uh, conservation organizations, including zoos, has been released. So right now is an awesome opportunity for various zoos to get some of that money. Uh, We already talked about the fact that Roger Williams Park Zoo is using theirs to uh, update what used to be their penguin habitat and then became a seal habitat and then became an empty habitat and is now going to become a penguin habitat, again. So, uh, yeah, just a cool little opportunity. Um, If you happen to be somebody who works at a zoo and you don't know about this, go check it out, and you can use that money to, like, make good things happen for your animals. So, that's cool. (laughs) And you guys thought that COVID-19 was, like, bad. See? See? Two sides to every story or something. (laughs) Some good news out of Las Vegas. Siegfried and Roy's secret garden and dolphin habitat Which is at the Mirage, is closing permanently. Uh, This is in big part due to the fact that they have had three different dolphin deaths there this year. Um, Obviously, this was not an AZA accredited facility. And um, I was always, I remember when I went there when I was a little bit younger and I always felt like "Mm, not great about it. It was cool seeing the animals, but even before I understood. All of this stuff about what makes a good zoo a good zoo, I, I kind of remember being like, yay, dolphins, but also, eh. And uh, now it is closing, and I'm I'm really excited about that. The dolphins are going to be rehomed. No plans have been officially set up yet, but uh, always nice to see that, you know, dolphins that maybe weren't living in the best conditions will now get to go live in hopefully better conditions. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming a lot here, but we're going to hope. We're going to hope. So I'm glad that that is closing, though. Oh, and I I wanted to give you all an update on uh, the latest viral video, the one that has dethroned me playing with Emily in the animal world. Sedgwick County Zoo uh, has a chimpanzee named Mahale who recently gave birth to a chimplet. I think we'll go with chimplet. I like this. Also known as a newborn baby chimpanzee uh, named Kuchiza, which means play in Swahili, Um, the mom needed an emergency C-section and the baby was not the healthiest when it was born and so was taken into um, the vet hospital to be taken care of and the mom had to be taken care of. Everyone needed to be taken care of. It was a successful birth but everyone, you know, needed to be taken care of and uh, so after two days, the mom and baby were reunited and the video of it has gone viral because it is absolutely freaking adorable and And it's it's just, yeah, go go check it out uh, at Sedgwick County Zoo. One of the diseases that is causing coral so many problems across the world is known as BBD, which stands for Black Band Disease. Well, recently, uh, the scientists at Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium teamed up with the National Park Services and um, some pharmaceutical scientists at Ocean Alchemists, LLC, and working together, they have found a therapeutic ointment that works to treat corals with black band disease. In clinical trials on certain types of Caribbean corals, the treatments were 100% effective and And 100% of the corals were still healthy six months later. This is a huge breakthrough, and, and having medicine for corals is just yet another great example of things that scientists at zoos and aquariums are doing that don't normally get a lot of press but show just how amazing these facilities are. There's only one death of consequence to report this week, so that's a nice break from uh, recent episodes. Uh, but I do want to take a moment to send our condolences to the Naples Zoo at Caribbean Gardens in Florida, um, who recently announced the passing of Taz the Ocelot Uh Taz had been an ambassador ocelot along with his mate Belize for many years, and uh, even though they've been retired from being ambassador animals, uh, they were living behind the scenes and having a very good, very happy life. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Taz became anemic uh, because he had end-stage renal disease, which which they knew about, and they tried to treat it, but his body did not work, and so um, they had to euthanize. Uh, Since it was kind of a planned thing and not an emergency he was surrounded not only by his current keeper staff but by many who had taken care of him over the years and it was a, a beautiful ending for for taz uh, Taz was 22 years old so he was was very old for his species and and very healthy and until you know the end as is often the case um, but yeah condolences to everyone at Naples Zoo but also amazing work with with such an incredible animal in a bit of a bittersweet announcement for me Elmwood Park Zoo recently announced that they got a $30 million gift from a local anonymous donor, and uh, they're using it to build a brand new animal hospital and welcome center, which is awesome, but the slightly less awesome part for me is that they have to demolish their old entrance, and to get everything set up and, and working and all that stuff um, with the temporary entrance while everything's being built, the zoo is going to be closed all of January and February 2023. So if you, like I am, are a big Elmwood Park Zoo fan, make sure that you go in December and get to see your, your Slash the Red Panda and the Trail of the Jaguar and uh, Gerald the Drooling drag- and all of the uh, amazing animals there, like Rocky and Piper, the adorable little river otters who love each other so much, uh, before you don't get to see them for January and February. Here's an interesting story out of Sedgwick County Zoo. Um, on Halloween, a four year old African painted dog named Micah or Mika, I'm reading this, so I'm not sure. I'm going with Mika. I like it more. So Mika uh, gave birth to a litter of puppies or doglets, I guess, if we're sticking with this. That one doesn't work quite as well. Um, unfortunately, uh, it was quickly realized that Mika was not producing milk. So um, Mika was uh, anesthetized and uh, they were able to verify that she was not producing milk and they quickly realized they had to remove the puppies from the nest box. So they did so and initiated around-the-clock care while also reaching out to animal shelters, the Humane Society, and dog rescues in the area to see if they could find a lactating domestic dog that was close to weaning her puppies that could be used as a surrogate. Soon enough, a surrogate was found, Sparkles, a pit bull. And um, Sparkles is now the surrogate mother or wet nurse, I guess you could say, for these uh, African painted dog puppies. Not entirely sure how well this will go, but it has been done before with... um, other domestic dogs and and wild canids so uh hopefully Sedgwick county zoo will have some good news for us about their african painted doglets soon uh and they do plan on reintroducing them to mom and dad when it is a better age for socialization if, if possible obviously you never know but they're hoping that will work out and they'll be able to unite the pack again and speaking of cool births, the Wilds in Ohio, which is the safari park that is also owned by the Columbus Zoo, recently announced a newborn rhinoceros calf, Rhinlet. Uh, the male calf was born just a few days ago and, uh, is currently unnamed, but seems to be doing very well. I will tell you, I have been to the wilds a couple of different times for their winter tour. They do these like private tours during the winter and you get to go to the rhino barn and stuff. And I've been there when there are little baby rhinos and it is ridiculously cool and ridiculously fun. I highly recommend If you get the opportunity that you do that and go see a baby rhino up close, Um, if not, at the very least, check out the social media pages of the Wilds and the Columbus Zoo because they have posted uh, pictures of this baby rhino. And um, I don't know if you all know this, but baby rhinos have proportionately large eyes and also ears. And it's really ridiculous. It's just really cute. So I highly recommend going and checking that out. And speaking of adorable births, the National Zoo in Washington DC has announced the birth of two baby Andean bear cubs, bearlets. Uh, they were born November 15th and, uh, this is just not a species that gets a ton of births every year. Um, but the, the, the national zoo seems to do really well with it. This is the, uh, fourth litter born there since 2010 and, um, it'll be a few months before vets are able to get in there and do an exam and, and see, you know, that everything's good and figure out the sex and all that stuff. But, uh, for now we can just be excited, uh, about these bear cubs. So yay. Roger Williams Park Zoo is a zoo that we talk about on here a lot. I do love them. Um, and they are located in Providence, Rhode Island. And recently they got a uh, new Maasai giraffe as as part of the SSP. And um, the only reason that just getting a new animal is is particularly uh, newsworthy here is that the name of the giraffe from before coming to, to Rhode Island is – Providence. So you can now go see Providence in Providence. Do it. And then two quick stories out of Pennsylvania to wrap up the zoo news section this week. Uh, first of all, uh, the Philadelphia Zoo has started to infiltrate the Philadelphia airport. And um, In the connector between terminals B and C, frequently the Philly Zoo is actually going with ambassador animals and setting up and putting on keeper talks and uh, interactive ways for the people at the airport to meet ambassador animals. Uh, This is similar to what we talked about uh, with Akron setting up some, like – Permanent exhibits, but in this case, uh, the Philly Zoo is regularly sending some of their ambassador team to the airport to interact with uh, traveling guests during the holiday season. I think this is really cool. I think it probably... Introduces a lot of people who don't go to the zoo to these animals and also probably helps a lot of people at the airport uh, have some stress relief, which is always nice because traveling sucks sometimes. So, yeah, I think that's really cool that the the Philly Zoo is doing that. And then last but not least, um, the Erie Zoo in Erie, Pennsylvania, has announced that um, all of their previous red pandas have moved on to other facilities for breeding wrecks. But they did just receive two one-year-old red panda brothers, Michael and Lucas, who are hanging out at the zoo. So if you are a panda person and you get the chance, go say hello to Micah and Lucas and make them feel welcome. Gosh, I really am such a dork. Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! Thousands of loggerhead sea turtles have decided to um, strand themselves. In the Corpus Christi area of Texas, this has been ongoing since the beginning of summer and nobody really knows why. But the Texas State Aquarium has been stepping up and rescuing these turtles, um, getting, uh, you know, vet care for the ones that need it, getting them back into the ocean for the ones that don't. Um, But yeah. Thousands of turtles beaching themselves. I remember that earlier this year I did a story that a lot of turtles uh, were going back to breed on the beaches around Corpus Christi for the first time in decades. So – I don't know what the heck's going on there. I don't know what weirdness in in the turtle brains is, is making Corpus Christi such a thing. But I, I do find it interesting that in the same year where they started breeding there again uh, in droves for the first time in forever, that they also, you know, had that whole thing going on where they're stranding themselves in huge numbers. Loggerheads are not actually endangered, although they are well on their way there. Um, and a, a mass stranding event like this could could really – you know, shove them into the endangered category very quickly. So uh, interesting thing to keep an eye on. And I'm really excited for the Texas State Aquarium and the federal government to be involved with all of this. But um, yeah, kind of scary for our turtle friends. A bird known as the black-naped pheasant pigeon uh, had been lost to science since first being described in 1882 and has now been rediscovered for the first time in Papua New Guinea. Um, It's really cool and really exciting and also... um, there is video out on the internet you can find of them realizing that they have found it that they have discovered this species and you can just see the one researcher just like it is it is the goal of a lifetime and watching that video is just so wildly touching so i highly recommend you check it out but uh yeah pr- pretty cool that they found this this bird and and that we get to see that reaction and what it means to the people involved The federal government has officially given the green light to allow the largest dam removal in U.S. history. This is really exciting news for salmon and for the local tribes that live in the area around the Klamath River, which is in California and Oregon. The dams are obviously working like dams to slow and stop the, the water flow. And as climate change has continued to wreak havoc on the area, um, a lot of the river uh beyond the dams has dried up or has at least gotten a lot shallower. This has led to a lot of the salmon species in the area becoming endangered and really struggling, and a lot of the tribes that live along the river have their economies built around um, both the salmon and just, like, life in the river. So this is a really big deal for both the salmon species, uh, along with all the other species that, you know, rely on water in the area, and also for the Native American tribes that are along the river. Uh, This was a 10-year process to finally get this approved, but it has been approved, and that's just a really good story. Um, there, there's a lot of, of talk in the conservation community right now about, uh, indigenous people and their land rights and how we need to take, um, their, uh, traditional ecological knowledge. It's called tech for short, like T E K, um, into consideration when we look at the, the science of conservation, because even though a lot of the things that these tribes know may not have been ascertained scientifically, a big part of science is just observation. And, uh, you know, a lot of these tribes have been passing down, you know, even a through the oral tradition, um, what has been going on on these lands for millennia. So there, there's a real push right now to try to combine uh, traditional ecologic knowledge with science, use the science and give that to the tribes to help them understand what they're seeing better and um in exchange, or just because this is how things should work, I guess, uh, get that traditional ecologic knowledge as tech and uh, incorporate it into our science and and try to kind of meld the two so that we now have a much better understanding mm-hmm. Of what lands were doing in the past before we have a scientifically recorded history and also so that we can see what our theories and such, you know, do with that information and, and what we learn and, and also help the the tribal nations, uh, you know, use the land even better and understand what they're seeing even better. I think that's really cool, and it's, it's not something that you see in a lot of science, um, you know. So it's, it's pretty cool to see that happening right now, and, and I think that helped allow this to happen. So very good stuff all around. And last but not least, in conservation news this week, I have another movie to tell you about that is coming out um, that I have some opinions on without having watched. Uh, it is called uh, Kiko, the Untold Story of the star of Free Willy. So, quick reminder, um, Kiko was the star of Free Willy, the movie about an orca, and um, there was a big movement after uh, the movie was ended to free Kiko, to to send this whale back out into the wild. There was this weird belief that, that the mother of Kiko was still around, and they somehow knew how or who it was, even though... Um, there was literally no scientific reason to believe that, um, and uh, so they they did a thing. They they moved uh, Kiko from um, the facility uh that that it was living in that he was living in which was a mexican theme park which like isn't great you know um to oregon coast aquarium and uh they did rehabilitation work there and tried to to prep kiko for release into the wild because there was this massive public outcry and then they finally did it and it went horribly uh there is so much documentation of this that it is undeniable that it went horribly uh the whale died for starters like lived for a while but then died was rejected by multiple pods um lived a very sad life kept trying to get back to land and get back to people um all of the things that when you know when scientists say oh these these animals are not eligible for re-release uh it, it was it was like a, a did you? yeah it was that it was 100 that it's exactly what you would expect um and now there's a movie coming out claiming that that is not the real story and that this whale had this awesome fight for survival and this will to live, and yay. And um, I'm, I'm pretty bummed about that. Uh, I will probably watch it, and maybe my opinion will change, but I doubt it. Um, and so I did some digging, and it turns out that the movie was produced by Teresa Demarest. Teresa is a songwriter, producer, independent filmmaker. Um... Uh, yeah not not a whale expert no uh no cetacean knowledge in there um but she does mix uh, a lot of folk r&b rock and jazz into her music which i guess is is pretty cool um and apparently you know i'm not i'm not going to make fun of this next part but uh apparently Teresa got very sick with cancer um and as she was trying to get Over that, she found solace in Kiko's own recovery from captivity and, um, upon surviving cancer, uh, was inspired by the, the release of, of Kiko. Um, she even wrote a song called Kiko's Dream, uh, trying to evoke the whale song through an eloquent guitar theme, uh, according to her website. Um... And yeah, then she did an entire roadshow based on the idea that Kiko was out there and loving his life and her connection to it. She toured on this idea. So my point here is that um, I've talked to a bunch of experts about this. I've read a bunch of expert material about this, and there is a lot of evidence out there. And uh, all of that holds up a little better to me than somebody who emotionally attached to the idea – of their own freedom from cancer being related to this whale's freedom and kind of needing that narrative, so um I just wanted to give you all a heads up that this is out there it's It's been getting awards at festivals, but I mean so did blackfish, so bleh, that doesn't exactly mean it's authentic and i'm willing to give it a look um i'm I'm willing to check it out, but I'm also very aware of what documentarians can do and how they can lie and how they can have their own agenda. And, um, unfortunately it seems like she has such an emotional attachment to this idea that, um, I mean, no matter what, it's going to be obviously biased. So, uh, just something to keep your eye out for, um, and maybe avoid, or maybe go into with a open, but cynical mind. And it just kind of sucks, though, because this is the kind of thing that, like, makes anti-captivity people more anti-captivity. And uh, I'm just not a fan of that for, like, you know, all of the reasons that we talk about twice a week on this podcast. So, yeah, bit of a bummer. Hope it doesn't kill the conservation message of what places like SeaWorld are doing um, any more than it's already been bruised by films like this. But, yeah, it's out there. Be aware. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now, then now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast of the news. The great bustard is the largest bird in the world that is capable of flight. It is also apparently using plants as a form of self-medication. While recently studying the diet of this incredible animal, uh, scientists noticed that um, the two species of plants that were eaten more than any other foods in their diet both have anti-parasitic effects, meaning obviously that they help kill off the parasites that these birds would encounter, especially being such large birds. Um, So that's just really cool and just one of these little things where it's like, hey, we do that, but, but they do that too. Uh, in, in this case, the food is uh, corn poppies and purple vipers bugless. And uh, in humans, uh, corn poppies have actually been used uh, as a sedative and for pain relief. Um, the other plant is actually toxic for humans, so don't go eat that and try to self-medicate. We have, we have other plants we can use to self-medicate if we want to. And then a quick Thanksgiving story for you. Uh, if you plan on enjoying some pumpkin pie over the holiday, uh, you can thank the poop of mammoths. So tens of thousands of years ago, um... Uh, Squash in North America were smaller than what we know today and had a really bitter, toxic taste. Uh, This was, you know, self defense against small animals trying to get into the seeds. So at the time, mastodons, mammoths, and the other giant herbivores that were around would still eat them because their taste buds were made in such a way where they wouldn't even taste the bitterness. Uh, And their bodies were able to absorb the toxins without them, like, dropping dead. The seeds would pass through them and be dispersed uh, as, uh, you know, far as they walked all the time, which was a lot. And um, the the poop would be the fertilizer. And uh, we know this, by the way, in case you're wondering. Because squash seeds have been found in fossilized mammoth dung. You're welcome for that knowledge. Um, So as the squash grew throughout the landscape, uh, over time, humans were able to find it and cultivate it. And um, because it was such a good growing crop because of the mammoth poop, uh, we we were able to kind of genetically engineer it a little bit, uh, naturally, of course, just through proper breeding programs and such, to uh, make it less bitter and make it into pie. So when you cut yourself a giant slice of pumpkin pie and throw some whipped cream on it, know that you are engaging in your own little prehistoric poop story. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right. It is 2022 still, which is the year of the wildcat, and it is November still. So it is Manatee Awareness Month. And y'all, Again, this is the thing that I like to to bitch and moan about all the time in this section, unless you're a young listener, in which case this is the thing that I like to complain about all the time in this section. Um, We got nothing this week at all except for on the 29th, which is International Jaguar Day, World Anteater Day, and World Tamandua Day. Now, I understand that, you know, Tamanduas are eaters, but they deserve their own day. And I just think, like, this is crazy. Since the 14th, we have only had five actual animal holidays, right? The 14th was the International Day of Zoo and Aquarium Educators. The 21st was World Fisheries Day. And then the 29th is International Jaguar Day, World Anteater Day, and World Tamandua Day. And that is just bad management we need like a council of animal holidays that can officially use my theme songs for it here and uh just just make this work better because this stuff just drives me crazy for no reason because it really doesn't matter but um yeah i don't know i just yeah that's what's going on and those are your animal holiday really that just that is your animal holiday singular multiple animals animals holiday that's what it is that is your animals holiday okay rant over All right, so there you have it. Another episode of Zoo News. Yay! Uh, Friendly reminder, since I didn't put this at the top, if you are a new listener, you can contribute to Zoo News by sending me stories that that you think should be here, and I will say your name at the end of the episode, and we're almost at the end of the episode, so if you did that, you're going to get to hear your name. Yay! First, I'd like to say thanks to Lara Shank, my Red Panda-level patron, and then also to everyone who just did the thing that I just talked about before, Lara Shank. Uh, Thank you to Anya Keen. Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kevin Williams, Marianne Rossi, Lara Shank showing up again, Paul Somo, Emily Rockbuck, and Dylan Hoy. Y'all rock. And, hey, everyone out there, make sure you're following at Rossafari on the socials, at Rossifari Pod on TikTok. You can tag me in stories through that stuff, and that helps me find them. And y'all rock, and I love y'all, and I hope that as we go into this season where a lot of people celebrate a lot of holidays, but also a lot of people really struggle with missing people and seasonal depression and just life, that uh my podcast can can help you be a little happier and can be a little bit of a retreat as we get goofy and and talk about cool animal things um i will tell you all that i'm wildly thankful for y'all being here and uh yeah a lot of love from your boy john and also remember friends the words newsy credits backwards The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley gross Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray.